This week, uh, my family, and I'm sure the majority of you in here experienced the same thing. Uh, we were uh, forced or had the opportunity, I guess you could say, uh, to live life uh, for a little bit, a few hours, without our typical modern conveniences. Uh, we lost power. And that was a weird storm, wasn't it? I mean, I thought I was going to be mowing the afternoon. I was getting ready to leave work and head out on the mower. I had like an hour left. And I heard there was a chance of rain, and I thought, oh, surely it won't. And then I heard rain hitting the windows, and I thought, you know, I was parked out here under the awning, and usually it doesn't rain in there. And I had the top off my Jeep, but I thought it might be blowing enough that uh, it might be getting wet. So I, I ran out there. Zach ran out there with me. Sure enough, rain is blowing into the Jeep, and we're trying to fight with the top to get it up on top of the Jeep. And, and we were soaked, I mean, from like knees all the way down, just completely soaked just because all this rain blowing. But anyways, we lost power. And uh, it's so funny to see how people react when you lose power for just a few hours. And I, I think we're all guilty of it. There's kind of like this, like, what do we do? A little bit of a panic, you know, what are we going to make for dinner? What are we going to do with all our time, you know? And, you know, things like that, we kind of begin to, I guess it kind of puts things into perspective sometimes. But our family decided, we decided we'd go out to eat. So we went to Burlington to try to burn some time. We went out to eat. My kids asked me, they said, well, are we just going to eat out the whole time the power's out until it comes back on? And I said, well, no. I said, hopefully it'll be on by the time we get home. But if it doesn't, you know, even if it's out for a few days, we'll, we're not going to go out to eat all the time. And they said, well, how are we going to cook at home? I was like mind-boggling. I said, you do realize that people live for millenniums before this uh, without power up until like, what, 120 years ago, something like that. So this is a fairly, fairly new thing that we have here. But man, isn't it interesting to, to think about how much that changes over time, how much technology changes us over time. But we are a society that relies on convenience, don't we? I mean, that's really what, what you know, power is about. I mean, we're talking not, you know, that kind of power. Energy, I guess, is maybe a better word. When we're talking about that kind of energy. It's about convenience. We, we want to be able to have comforts of air conditioning and inter entertainment right there in our home. We love that convenience. And we have become a society that really values and really relies on convenience. And it is amazing how things change just over a short amount of time. You know, just in my uh, what seems relatively short lifetime, uh, we went from having no internet to having dial-up internet. You remember that little sound when you tried to connect to the internet and uh, so we had dial-up internet, and now we've got wireless internet and internet on our phones. And, and then if that doesn't work, you know, we, we get upset whenever, you know, our, if we go through an area that doesn't have cell service or something like that, we get upset and we think, oh, this is just junk, and we want to throw it out the window if you're anything like me. Um, that's kind of how we are. We become very reliant on those modern conveniences. And I think because of that, we are a culture that really demands instant gratification, it makes me think of Instagram, you know, Instagram, that social media platform where you take a picture and you can, you know, instantly share it with all your family and friends and everybody can see what you're doing and where you're at and what you're eating and all this stuff. And I think that's great, but it's just funny, you know, that the name Instagram. Uh, we think of uh, maybe darker things like buy now, pay later. You, you can have what you want to have now and you don't have to pay for it right now. You can, you can wait. Even if you don't have the money, it's very convenient. You can have what you want to have, and you don't have to pay for it right now. You can just pay for it later. And you think we'd learn our lessons because of atrocities like instant coffee and instant mashed potatoes. You think that we would get a clue that instant isn't always a good thing, 
but we don't seem to learn our lessons. We really crave instant gratification. And I think sometimes that even impacts our faith. And today we're going to talk specifically about how it may even impact our generosity or what we might refer to it as a lack thereof. But we'll come back to this whole idea of instant gratification. But we talked about in the beginning of this series, we've been in the series for several weeks, generous. And we talked about how pride is really the enemy of generosity. Pride is what's really that one thing that keeps us from becoming generous people. We also talked about how pride is the oldest sin in the book. Satan, when he rebelled against God, what was it really about? It was about his pride. He wanted to be greater than God. Eve, when she chose to eat the apple, or excuse me, not the apple, we don't know, whatever fruit it was, when she chose to eat that fruit, it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the fact that she wanted to be like God as well. It was pride. So pride is one of the oldest sins in the book. And we talked about how pride is dangerous, not just because it causes us to do the wrong things. Pride does do that. Pride causes us to do the wrong things. But what's really dangerous about pride is that pride can cause you to do the right things for all the wrong reasons. And when you do the right things for the wrong reasons, even the right things become the wrong things. So Jesus directed a lot of his teaching and really the bulk of his criticism towards these kinds of people. People who did all the right things on the outside, but they did them for all the wrong reasons. And we see this story in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, a fairly short passage this week. This really isn't a story, it's, it's a sermon. Jesus preaches a sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may give in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Liz and I, uh, on the rare occasion that we get some time together, we usually sit down and there's usually a TV show that we watch together. And uh, it's been a while since we had time to sit down and do that, but especially in the winter months, that's something we do. And I can remember we were uh, watching this one show in particular, I cannot remember the name of it, and it was a pretty short show, and um, it was just really getting into it. It was like a, a detective show, but there's also the subplot line, you know, between this detective and this nurse, and it was always this question of, okay, are they going to become a couple, or are they not? And so it's finally getting to the point in that, that story where it looked like they were finally going to get together. And then all of a sudden, we ran out of episodes that we were watching on Netflix, and it was over. And we were like, oh, we didn't even know that there were any episodes left. We should have looked ahead. And so I thought, well, how are we going to find out how the story ends? So we, we got online. I'm like, I'll find out when the next season comes out on Netflix. And much to my chagrin, the show was canceled early. There was no end. So we never know how the story to this show ends. The reason I bring that up is because it's funny how engaged we get in stories like that, whether it's in a book or whether it's a TV show. But we really get engaged in, in things that, you know, might not even be real. It's kind of the, the power, I guess, of, of acting, and acting has incredible power, doesn't it? I mean, if you watch a movie and there's a villain in it, that can ruin you on that actor forever, right? I mean, if you saw him out on the street, you wouldn't think of them as, you know, Carl. You would think of them as their, their 
screen name, their actor, and, and you might either really like that person or really not like that person. And it's funny how actors can do that. They might not be anything like the roles that they're playing, but it can cause us to think a certain thing about them. Jesus talked about hypocrites. He uses the word hypocrites here. And that word is actually a word that is rooted in acting. Someone who is playing a role. Someone who makes themselves appear a certain way, but that's really as far as it goes. It is just an act. It's kind of like a mask that they can, they can put it on and they can take it off whenever they want. And some people are really good at acting, aren't they? Some people are really good at wearing masks. I mean, that's one of the most frustrating things about ministry sometimes is that, you know, when, when you have, you know, 150 people come into this room, you see them every week, and you kind of, this might be the only context where I know some of you. This, is, this might be the only time that I ever see you. And so I have certain, um, you know, a certain way that I view you based on how you act here. And what's really frustrating is when you find out that somebody acts one way here, but then they act a completely different way somewhere else. It's like the, they have these masks, and, and they say, okay, I'm getting ready to go to church. I better put my church mask on because I can look, look a certain way. Or I'm going to work. I better put my work mask on or my family mask or my whatever it is. Sometimes, though, your mask kind of falls off, right, when you least expect it, and it reveals what you're really like. Sometimes that, I've seen you guys at ball games. sometimes. That happens, right? <laughs> so sometimes it leaves us wondering, you know, who, who is the real you, it leaves people wondering, who are you really? And sometimes there's no doubt. But the sad thing is people who are simply acting, simply, people who are simply um, playing a role or wearing a mask, they do more harm than good. And that's why Jesus was so critical of these people. He calls them hypocrites. That, the word hypocrite and actor, it's, it's rooted in the same thing. He's saying, you guys are just playing a role. You're just acting one way, but it's not really in your heart. That's not who you really are. And he spent most of his time, I think, criticizing people like this, people like the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. Now, this is part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if I had to rename the Sermon on the Mount, I would simply call it the Do Hard Stuff Sermon. That's what it is all about, is basically do really hard stuff, do really difficult things. Anything that seems natural to you or seems acceptable in society, you should probably do the opposite. I mean, that's really what the sermon seems to be about. We read things like, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, rip it out. It talks about loving your enemies. I mean, that's a, these are difficult things for us to do. So this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's not addressing the Pharisees, but he's preaching the sermon because of the Pharisees. He preaches this sermon. It spans about three chapters, and he covers a lot of different topics. It's probably a really long sermon. And a lot of it has to do with him simply setting the record straight, saying this is the truth. You guys have been told wrong the whole time. This is really what is true. For years, God's people had been led astray by the Pharisees and other leaders, people who were supposed to know the truth and were supposed to teach the truth, but they missed the point. Matthew 5.20, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount as well, says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That was hard for people to hear. Because they held the Pharisees up as really righteous people because they did all the right things on the outside. They did it all for the wrong reasons. They knew all the rules. They enforced the rules. They did all the right things on the outside, but their heart wasn't right. 
And so Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and he says things like, you know, the law isn't just about, like, not killing your brother. The law is about loving people. That's what's really at the heart of the law. You guys missed the point. He says, you know, it's not just about not committing adultery. It's about how you view the opposite sex. That's what's really at the heart of the law. It's not about giving things away. It's about having a heart for God and for people. So Jesus, the way he kind of talks about this, he's talking about basically a new way of life. You know, you guys have been told wrong the whole time. That's basically what he says to these people, and I'm going to set the record straight. And so he begins to talk about a new covenant. He says, this is the new covenant that I'm making. And it's foretold in Jeremiah 31, uh, 33 through 34. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make. This is before Jesus, okay? This is a prophecy. This is years before. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each of them teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Later on, Jesus says, This is the new covenant in my blood. See, Jesus, the new covenant that he was bringing was the grace that came through his sacrifice on the cross. That, that no longer are we trying to earn anything, but instead that we are relying on the blood of Jesus Christ to cover our sin. And generosity is a reflection of that. If we rely on the grace and the mercy that comes from Jesus Christ, we show other people the same grace and mercy that's been shown to us. That means being generous with our time, with our resources, anything we have. That is part of being a Christian. And I think there's kind of two, you could, I guess you could say maybe three people, groups of people mentioned in this passage here. But Jesus begins to kind of draw a line between two people. He says, there are those that are concerned with their own glory and those that are concerned with the glory of God. Now, those words, you won't find those here. That's just my, um, how I would describe it. But he, he says there are two people, those that are concerned with their own glory and reputation, those that are concerned with the glory of God. And what I want you to understand in this passage is this, that every time you give something, every time you're generous, every time you give something, you are making a choice. You're making a choice to either make a withdrawal or to make an investment. A meager temporary reward or an eternal investment. But it happens in the heart. Now, when I was younger, I really had interest in, uh, I liked warning signs. I used to collect them. I didn't hang them up in my room like some people, but I just like to collect them like biohazard signs and warning signs. And you see those signs, and they're, they're these great big signs, bright colors, and you just can't miss them. And sometimes it's a temptation for some of us who have a little bit of a rebellious spirit. But basically the idea behind that is, this is a warning to you. You are in danger. This is something that you need to avoid. And that's the language that Jesus uses here. He issues a warning. He says, beware. Beware. But Jesus also makes some assumptions in this passage. He says, when you practice your righteousness, when you give to someone in need, he's assuming that that's just part of being a believer. If you claim to follow me, I can just assume that you're going to try to live out your righteousness, that, that you're going to give to other people. That's what Jesus says here. So generosity is the mark of a believer. And I think there are some people, a lot of people, that really have to move past the mindset where we say, well, you know, we're covered by the grace of Jesus Christ, so we can just do whatever we want. Nothing is expected of us. Understand that that is not part of the gospel. And Jesus, he doesn't say that here. God cares about what you do. God cares about what you don't do. 
because those things reveal what kind of relationship you have with God. The three things that Jesus mentions in this sermon are prayer, fasting, and giving alms. And today we're going to just focus on one of those. We're going to talk about giving alms. Now, it's kind of foreign language to us, but understand in Jesus' culture, they didn't have government programs. There was no welfare program or food stamps or whatever else out there. Uh, They didn't have anything like that. And so almsgiving was one of the ways that they took care of the poor. They would give alms to other people. And so there's also this other assumption in here that not only are we just giving to the church, but when we're generous, it also means being generous towards people outside the church as well. So Jesus begins to distinguish these two groups of people. But the thing that's really interesting about this is that their actions are identical. When Jesus, you understand in this passage, and I'm sure you can see it for yourself, you don't need me to show, you don't need me to point it out to you. You can see it, it's clear as day. In that first passage we read, Jesus is drawing a line. He's saying there's these kinds of people and there's those kinds of people. The thing about it, though, is that their actions are identical. They do the exact same thing, but their heart is completely different. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time, that generosity is really about what's inside. And now you might ask, and when it comes to giving to the poor, when it comes to giving someone need, you know, doesn't the end justify the means? As, as long as that person is taken care of, does it really matter? Yes, it does. Yeah, that person's needs might be taken care of. Let's say somebody needs $10 for a meal, and you give them $10, but your heart isn't in it. Or let's say you give them $10, and your heart is in it. Either way, they get their need taken care of. But it says a lot about you. Sure, that need might be taken care of, but it says a lot about your heart, your attitude towards why you're giving to someone else. Which asks the question, why do we give to other people? What is our motivation for being generous to other people? And that's really what Jesus is talking about. When we're talking about these two groups of people, again, their actions are identical. Their heart is completely different. Jesus said one person seeks glory when they give to other people. The other person seeks the glory of God. That's the distinction. That's the two different kinds of people that we're talking about. Those that seek their own glory. Those that seek the glory of God. So the first group, those that seek their own glory, he calls them hypocrites. These are the actors, and they give, but their motivation is only to be seen by other people. They just want to be seen by others, and so it talks about how they blow their trumpets, something that calls it. You ever had a conversation with someone, and they say, well, not to toot my own horn, and then they proceed to, like, toot their own horn. You've been around people like that. So we understand what this means, right, this whole blowing the trumpets. It's something that causes the attention, all lives, to be on you. They wanted everyone to see, again, he's talking to the Pharisees here, they wanted everyone to see how generous they were by what they gave away. But it had absolutely nothing to do with the people. They didn't see the people. They didn't see their needs. They didn't see the hurt of the people that they were helping. They just saw an opportunity to build themselves up, to make themselves look good. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. They had no regard for the people and their needs. They had every regard for themselves. They only saw themselves. And every time the Pharisees saw themselves, they always liked what they saw. They were only concerned with what, was, uh, what had to do with them. John chapter 12, 42 through 43 shed some more light on this. John 12, 42 through 43 says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
the Pharisees were guilty of the same thing. They were more worried about the glory that they got from other people than the glory of God. And then there's other people here that weren't Pharisees, but they trusted the Pharisees. They really cared about what the Pharisees thought so much that they wanted glory that came from them, the Pharisees, rather than the glory that came from God. They believed, but they cared more what the Pharisees thought than what God thought. Now, I know I said there's two groups, but there's actually kind of three because the first group kind of has a, uh, a branch off of this. There are some people that they just want the glory for themselves, but there's another group that they are seeking the glory of God, but it's not really about the glory of God. It's more the favor of God. These are the people that they're not necessarily trying, at least on the outside, to make themselves look good, but they're trying to, to be good enough to earn their favor with God. Matthew chapter 19 talks about this. A man comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, what do I need to do to get saved? And uh, Jesus says, well, um, he rattles off a couple commandments and he says, I've done all those things even since birth. And Jesus says, oh, okay, good. You've only got one more thing left to do. He says, take everything you have and sell it and then give it to the poor. And it says the man went away sad. He wasn't willing to do that. Now, a lot of times when we talk about this passage, we think, well, it's because this guy was so wrapped up in his money that he wasn't willing to follow Jesus. That's part of it. But, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, that Jesus comes, in a, that he comes into contact with people, even rich people, and he doesn't require the same thing from them. So why did he require that from that man? I think what that passage really has to do with is the fact that the guy, it's the first part. When Jesus says, obey these commandments, and he says, oh, I've done those from birth. And also notice what the man says. He says, how can I be saved? He's focusing on what he is capable of. So I think what really is at the heart of that issue is here's a guy who thinks that he's capable of saving himself. And so when we're talking about people that are seeking their own glory, there are just those who are just seeking glory and reputation from other people. But there are also people who are just seeking the approval of God. And we might think that that sounds like a good thing, right, to seek the approval of God. But the thing is, we can't do that on our own. And so if we're able to, if we're seeking the approval of God and we think that we can earn salvation, that means that really at the end of the day, we think that we can achieve that. And if we think that we can achieve that, then when does the, where does the glory go to? Well, it goes back to us. So what I want you to see is this is really the same problem. Some people are seeking their own glory. Some people are seeking the approval of God. But seeking the approval of God, thinking that you can earn salvation, is the same thing as seeking your own glory. Because you think that you can accomplish something that only God can do. So that's why I lumped those couple things in together, because it's the same issue. But if attention and glory and the approval of man is what we are really after, it says here, Jesus warns us, he says, if that's really what you want, if you want people to look at you and say, wow, what a great person, what a giving person, what a generous person, if that's what you want, Jesus says, that's exactly what you'll get. You'll get a great, great reputation. People will admire you. You will be known as being generous. But he also says, and that is all you'll get. That's the end of it. There's a second group of people. Those that seek the glory of God, they're not motivated by people, they're motivated by God. They aren't motivated by thinking they can earn God's favor. And so Jesus says, give in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, some people think that that means that we should only give in secret, that if you can't keep, a sec keep it a secret, then you shouldn't give. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Just because somebody knows what you gave, that doesn't mean that it's not relevant. 
It doesn't mean that that's not that you're not going to be rewarded for that. It just means that other people cannot be the motivation for our generosity. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, just a chapter earlier in verses 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light up a lamp and put under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, pay attention to this, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. See, the issue isn't being seen. The issue is doing things to be seen. If that is your motivation for being generous, for giving things, then that is the wrong motivation. It reminds me of a story. I didn't ask Ryan to sh- if I could share this. I'm sure he won't care, though. I guess it doesn't matter now at this point anyways. <laughs> uh, but Ryan was, uh, we were on, a, I think, a one-family, one-purpose build. I think that's what it was. And um, anyways, he was, uh, I can't remember how we had this conversation, but he was taking some videos or pictures or something, and uh, he's kind of the one that, that does that. He takes the, you know, Roy is gifted with the construction side of things. Ryan's more gifted with the promotion side of things. And uh, so anyways, he was get, getting a video together, getting some pictures together so he could get this video. And uh, he had one guy that kind of questioned him and said, you know, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you taking time to take pictures and video? Aren't we supposed to give in secret? And I remember Ryan saying he was trying to explain to him that, you know, this is how we get the word out there about giving to missions like this and, and getting people to these projects and helping out. You know, without promoting it, how are people going to know about it? And, uh, and eventually I think the guy kind of came around and he understood that. But we need to understand that it's, it's not that we do everything in secret. It just means doing things to be seen or noticed by other people cannot be the motivation for being generous. But when we are able to give in secret, it removes any chance that we're doing it to be seen by others. But here's the thing. You've got to be careful even then. Because you can do something in secret without anybody noticing. But again, if you're trying to simply earn the favor of God, even if it's in secret... That can't happen. You can't ever earn God's favor. It's something he gives to you. We're simply doing these things out of an an appreciation for the grace and the mercy that God has shown to us. But don't think that just because you're doing something in secret that you're somehow earning God's favor. Because, again, the glory is going to us. Now, when we started this series, we talked about why we give. And we talked about how everything belongs to God. That's kind of where we started, that the reason why we get is, give is because everything belongs to God in the first place. And so I was thinking about this this week, that when you give to others without taking credit, you're taking something that God has given to you, and you're giving it to someone else, and then you're taking the credit and making sure that it goes to God. Okay, let's think of this like a transaction, okay? You're taking something that doesn't belong to you, you're giving it to someone else, and you're taking that glory and credit, and you're giving it to God. Nothing goes to you at all. But when you give something to someone else, expecting the glory, what you're taking is you're taking something that God has given you. You are giving it to someone else, but it's not yours to begin with, and then you're expecting the glory back. So do you understand that when we do something and we're taking the glory from it, we are taking something that's intended for God, and we're taking it upon ourselves, taking the glory for something that doesn't really belong to us in the beginning. That's why, you remember the story about Ananias and Sapphira. There's a guy named Barnabas, a very, uh, very uh, generous person. He sold a field, took the profits, and he gave it all to the church. And it wasn't a secret. Everybody knew about it. Everybody knew what Barnabas had done. So again, it's kind of... Uh, 
helping us understand that it doesn't mean that everything has to be done in secret. Everybody knew the generous gift that Barnabas had given, but he didn't do it for other people. He just did it because he wanted to, because God wanted him to. But then Ananias and Sapphira, they decide, wow, Barnabas was so generous, and look at everybody that noticed what Barnabas did. We should do the same thing. So they sell a field, and they keep some of the money back for themselves, which was within their right. It was theirs to begin with. And they give part of the money uh, to the apostles. And they ask, is this all of it? And they said, yes. And right then, they died. The reason why that happened was because they lied. They were doing something not for God's glory. They were doing it for their own glory. They did the same thing that Barnabas did, but they were struck down dead for it. Because they didn't do it for the right reasons. They did it to be, to be seen by other people. It reminds me sort of like this. Uh, you ever get savings bonds when you're a kid from your grandparents? My grandparents, every birthday or something, they used to give me a savings bond. I think this is how it works. Uh, don't correct me if I'm wrong. Well, not, not right now. Just wait till after. Then you can correct me. Because um, it doesn't matter that much. Anyways, so you buy a $50 savings bond. That's its worth or whatever. But the thing about it is you pay $25 for it. I think that's how it works. You pay $25, you get a $50 savings bond. And you have the option, if you want to, to cash it out after a year. But it's only gaining like 0.01% interest. So in other words, like almost nothing. It has almost no extra value other than the money that was put towards it. If you wait 20 years, the interest rate goes up to 3.5%. Now, either way, you're getting something back, right? But the longer you hold on to it, the more it's worth. The reason I bring that up is because talking about the, the, main, the main point of this, this verse, this, this passage here, is basically you have the choice to either make a withdrawal or to make an internal investment. You can do things just to be seen by other people. And yeah, you'll get that back. Other people think a lot of you, but it lasts very little. Or you can choose to wait. You can choose to wait to, to build an eternal reward, to not take any credit here on earth and simply wait for God to reward your faithfulness. You see, when you do things for the approval of man, you get your reward. It's immediate, but it's very small. But when you do things to bring glory to God, you are, in, you are investing in something that is eternal. You say, well, what's this eternal reward? I had a cute conversation with my daughter this week, and I was, I was kind of sad because I realized, man, I haven't really talked about heaven that much with my daughter. I have with Eli. But uh, she was asking about my grandpa, my papa, and she said um, something about she was sorry that she didn't get to meet him or something. I said, I said, well, that's all right. I said, you'll get, to, you'll get to meet him in heaven. We'll see him again. And she said, oh, she said, well, when are we going? She said, like, can we go in a couple weeks? And I said, I said, okay, how do I explain this? I said, well, I said, heaven's a little bit different. I said, it's not really a place that you can just go to. I said, um, you know, heaven's a place that when you go, you go there when you die. And I said, when you go there, you know, you don't, you don't come back. I said, uh, so either, um, I said, if you follow Jesus... I said, if you obey Jesus, then um, when you die, you'll go to heaven. I said, or maybe Jesus will come back before you die, and, and then you'll go to heaven. And uh, so we started talking about it, and all of a sudden she says, I don't, I, yeah, I don't really want to go to heaven. <laughs> and I said, oh? And so I was kind of asking her why, and basically it boiled down to she likes her life, and she was scared to go to a place that she didn't know. I said, baby, I said, you got to understand. I said, imagine the best things that you can imagine. 
all your favorite things in life. And heaven is so much more than that. And then she's like, okay, well, then she was okay with going there. But the whole idea of like leaving home to go to heaven, that was a little scary for her. Uh, But she understood that, okay, this is something better than what's here and now. And man, we all need to make that. We all need to have that understanding, don't we? That sometimes we get so focused on the things here on earth. I mean, that's really what tempts us to do things for the approval of other people, right? Because we get so short-sighted and, oh, excuse me, short-sighted thinking that life is just about what happens here on earth. And that's why we do stupid things like seek glory for ourselves. Because we forget about what is to come. Jesus has promised us an eternal reward in heaven, something far beyond what we can imagine. If you trust God that he will bring you to a place that is better than you can imagine, something that's eternal. So every time you give something, you are making a choice. You're either making a withdrawal or you're making an investment. You're either, you either have a temporary, meager reward or you are making an internal investment. And I think it's important that you and I, we evaluate why we give the things that we give. I think the first question for us is, first of all, are we generous people? For those, of us, for those of us who think, well, I'm covered by grace, I don't really have to do anything, you know, God's forgiven me and, and I just, you know, whatever. Jesus doesn't say that here. He assumes that if you are a follower of Jesus that you are going to try to live a righteous life and generosity is part of that. So I think the first question you need to ask is, am I willing to give? Have I come to that point in my life that I realize that being generous with what I have is part of what God has required? Have you come to that point in your faith where you see that? I think another question we need to ask is, am I seeking the approval of people? That's hard to know sometimes. I think a good way to maybe figure that out is simply ask another question. Do I require something in in response? When I give something, do I require a response? Do I demand a plaque on what I gave? or, Or do I have strings attached? Another question to ask is, can you do something without being noticed? That's really hard to do, isn't it? That's, it's really hard to do something and keep it a secret, isn't it? Like, you want to tell somebody. It kind of eats away. It kind of pulls it like, oh, I could just tell this person. It's not a big deal, right? I mean, that, that's something that I feel sometimes. It's really hard to do things in secret. So can you do things without being noticed? I think those are some questions we need to ask ourselves to evaluate. Why is it that we give what we give? You can give a million bucks away. But if you give a million bucks away with the wrong heart, it doesn't hold a candle with somebody who gives 50 cents with the pure heart. It has nothing to do with how much or how little you give. It has to do with your heart and where your heart's at. But another thing is we can't let secrecy prevent us from generosity. It says we need to be an example. It says to be salt, to be light, to be a city on a hill so that people will see your good deeds and do what? Glorify, not you father everything we do should point to him i think we also need to be careful about judging other people and their motives for giving that has nothing to do with us that's between them and god we need to pay attention to our own hearts so when you give my encouragement for you is this make a smart investment make an internal investment don't make a withdrawal let's pray God, we thank you for this day you've given us today. We're thankful for this place of worship and thankful for the people that have gathered here. And we're thankful for their commitment to you, Lord. And we pray that each and every single one of us in this room, no matter where we're at in our walk with you, that every day 
that we take one step closer, even if it's just a tiny baby step, one step closer to you every single day. I pray that for everyone in here, that everyone in here takes those steps of faith towards being committed to you. And Lord, we know that generosity is one of those things, that that is a mark that we are interested, that we are willing to follow you, that we are committed to following you. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be generous people, giving people with our time, with our money, with any resources we have. I pray that we will be generous people, not so everybody will think that we're so generous, but so that they will see you through us. They, they will see that you're a generous God. I pray that all glory and honor and everything goes to you. Convict us, Lord, if we're giving for the wrong motives. Convict us, Lord, if we think that giving isn't part of following you. Convict our hearts and speak truth into our lives so that we can take one step closer to following you. It's your name I pray. Amen. I'm not sure where you're at in your walk with God today. Uh, maybe you're one of those people that you haven't fully surrendered your life to him. And so, you know, talking about generosity, you might not be there yet, okay? And, and I, want, I want to encourage you. you. If you are new in the faith and this whole generosity thing uh, is new to you, uh, be patient, okay? Uh, it starts, again, with the heart. We need to make sure our heart is right with God. And sometimes before we're able to take those steps. But my hope is that you finally will come to understand that that is part of following him. So today, I just want to invite you, I want to encourage you, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, I want you to know that that is always open to you. That is always available to you. You don't need a, a preacher to do it for you. You don't even need a church building to do it in. You simply need to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. That's something you can do anytime. But I also want to let you know that we're here to help you with that, and we'd love to celebrate that, that with you and talk to you about what that looks like. We want to help you through your journey. But if you need to commit your life to the Lord today, uh, I want to encourage you to do that so that you can learn things like generosity. Also, would invite you to look in your own heart. Also, to ask God to look at your heart and say, God, what are my motives behind my generosity? Why do I give the things that I do? Is it about giving glory and honor to you or am I seeking glory and honor for myself? And if it's about yourself, repent, change, make the commitment to, to do things for the right reasons. But that's my invitation to you today.